Good morning, church. It's good to be back with you after a week off. I appreciate Keith so much for bringing the message last week as we started a new series that I'll tell you about again in just a moment. Uh, But one of the things that's exciting today is we really kind of have almost a second campus of our church somewhere else. We have a back to school retreat that happens every fall right before we launch back into school. We've got a hundred students and volunteers who are there worshiping there this morning and uh, many parents that join them uh, from the weekend. And so uh, be praying for them and their travel back. And I know at, at moments like this at retreats, there's a lot of decisions that are made about the school year ahead and the kinds of leaders and influencers that our kids want to be. And so be praying for our students. Again, next week, we're excited to to bless those students uh, and the teachers and administrators, all who will go into our schools this week. And uh, I know for us, uh, we're we're planning for our kids to hand an invite to their teacher for the blessing this next week. It's a way for us to connect with our teachers, to let them know that we're we're Christians. If if they're a Christian, maybe they haven't made a decision, they don't know about Jesus. It gives us a chance to open that door for the school year ahead. And so be praying about those opportunities. Uh, take that invitation with you. Invite them next week or maybe friends from school. Hopefully we'll have a good, good crowd here next week to uh, bless our students and teachers and all those who are entering into school this week. Well, this series is called The Way, and it's a series about discipleship. And uh, there's a couple of reasons why we called this The Way. Actually, that language comes right out of Scripture in a couple of places that I want to point us to this morning. So if you're wondering what it means to follow Jesus, that's exactly what we're talking about over the next four weeks. And last week, Keith kicked it off with a sermon about discipleship, trying to define what a disciple is, a follower of Jesus. And uh, over the next four weeks, I want to talk more about that. But this idea of the way comes from scripture, like I said. The first of those places is in John chapter 14. John 14, I want to read from real briefly. It's a story where uh, Jesus shows up and there's a guy named uh, Thomas who's been following Jesus. And in John 14, Thomas asks a question of Jesus that may sound a little bit like a question you have asked uh, God as well in your lifetime. If you've ever wondered, where's all this going? Where's life headed? Does God hear the requests we have? Listen to a guy we call Doubting Thomas. Ask one of those questions in verse 5. John 14, verse 5, he says, Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where we are going, so how can we know the way? Have any of you been there before? Wondering what the right path is. Wondering if the path we're headed on is where God would have us. Wondering where God is in the midst of challenges of life. That's what Thomas is asking Jesus right here. And Jesus responds, and maybe this is a response to some of us today about what that path is. Jesus responded this way. I am the way and the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So the way for Jesus isn't exactly even a path. The the way is a person. Jesus says, I am the way, the way I've set out for you, the teaching I have given you. If you want to join the way, you're going to follow me. And he promises abundant life and truth to those who follow him. But it's not just a person, the way. As the story goes on uh, in the early church, in the book of Acts, This phrase comes up again, but it's not describing Jesus. It's describing his followers. There's a guy named Paul who wrote about half the New Testament, who actually was a religious terrorist before God changed his life. And his name was Saul at that point, and he's persecuting followers of Jesus. I want you to pay attention to how Jesus talks about these followers, the early church. This is in Acts chapter 9, verse 1 and 2. Listen to this. Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. And he went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus, so that if he found any there who belonged to 
the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. So it's not just Jesus who is the way. We as his followers, that's how they referred to him in the early, in the early church, the first centuries. These are people who followed the way. And that's what we're about, isn't it, church? Some of us are on that journey. We've been at it for a while. And some of us, we're still trying to figure it out. Is this the journey of life? Is this Jesus guy, the one that I need to follow? And I hope today, wherever you are and find yourself on that journey, or whether you're about to enter onto it soon, perhaps, I hope you'll listen this morning as we talk about this over the next four weeks. Today, we're going to talk about the call of Jesus. The God, Jesus has made a call on all of our lives. Jesus called the disciples back then, and he still calls us today. Next week, we'll talk about the teaching of Jesus. If we're going to accept that call, we have to know what that means. So Jesus teaches his disciples, and then he equips them, and then he sends them. And so that's kind of the pattern, the table of contents, I guess you could say, for the next four weeks. But I want to open with prayer this morning before we get into uh, further into the message. God, we, uh, we ask this morning that you would be with us as you are, have already been. We've asked for your spirit to be here among us and to change us. And then we want to be open to that. God, I know there's a people that, that come in from all different segments of life, some that may not be so sure about this Jesus way yet, some that are fully committed, and some, well, that past grown cold, and they're not sure how to get back on or if they're wanted. So I pray today, God, that wherever people find themselves, that they would hear the call of your son, Jesus, once again, and they would join again in the way that you promise is the path to truth and to grace as well. Thank you so much for the way that you've given to us, the way you've designed for us, and this movement that you called your church on. May we be in step uh, with your kingdom in every way this coming week and in the days to come. It's in the name of Jesus and all God's people said, amen. amen. Have you ever thought before, I was born in the wrong century? I mean, maybe you see a movie from the past or you've seen a television show that's set somewhere in the past and you think, now that's when I should have lived. That would have fit perfectly. Some of you, even in the room this morning, I know this is the case. You, you would love to go back to when you saw Braveheart, you're like, that is where I should live, right? If I could paint my face and wear kilts and go into battle, that would be the place to go. Some of you, it's not that though. You, for you, it may have been the television show Downton Abbey that you went back to, right? You watch this every week and you thought, man, wouldn't it be cool to have lived in that time period with all that went along with it? Others of you, maybe it was, it's an old Western that comes on TV and you think, man, wouldn't it have been cool to live in the wild, wild West? I don't know when that era would have been. Maybe it's not the past. Maybe for you, it's the future. You, you're thinking, I don't even, I shouldn't exist now. It should be in the days to come with all that God's going to do in the future. Well, today I want to talk about uh, that idea about are, are we intended for this time or sometimes how it feels to be, maybe we feel like we're out of place, that we aren't meant for this time. In fact, I want to talk about that right now. Some people just seem like they were born at the right time. If you think back through history. I was reading a book recently. It was a book by Malcolm Gladwell. It's called Outliers. It's a great book. And it talks about some really kind of outside the box things that we don't tend to think about. And it, it's changed my view on some things. And he talks about several examples of how people were just born at the right time. One of those examples he talks about is Canadian hockey players of all things. He talks about this strange anomaly in his book about how if you were to look at an NHL roster of those who were born in Canada, there's a strange anomaly about when those Canadian hockey players that go pro were born. In fact, you can see it at every level of hockey going all the way up in Canadian hockey. Uh, 40% of the players who were on those rosters, almost on every team, if you just kind of stretch it over the years, were born from January to March of the year. 30% were born in the next three months. 
And then 20% from uh, July through September and 10% from October through December. So if you live in Canada and you want your kid to play professional hockey, the secret's not to get them the best training. It's to make sure you get pregnant between April and May. And don't be off by a day. Because if they're born on New Year's Eve instead of New Year's Day, the chances go way down. Now, we hear things like this and we think, we want to refute that. Surely this can't be the case, right? We want to refute that data because it can't be accidents of birth that put people in positions of influence or positions of being able to make lots of money on on a skating rink. But it's true as he kind of points this out. And there's an explanation for why this actually occurs in Canada. Uh, He says that the explanation is really simple if you look at the data. In Canada, the eligibility cutoff that's designed for students in junior hockey is January 1. So you think about this as a six or seven-year-old hockey player. You think about the difference in age, in growth, in maturity, in size, in skill, hand-eye coordination. There's a massive difference between hockey players that are born January 1st who are six years old and those that won't turn six until the end of the year, right? And then you go on and you think about it, and and, and the ones that show promise early on, well, they start picking all-star teams and select teams at an early age, because this is a hockey-crazed country, right? And so they pick these older kids that seem to have more skill, they put them on better all-star teams, they put them with better coaches, they get more reps in practice, they actually end up playing about 60 games a year versus the rec leagues, those little runs that were born later in the year, right? And they don't get near as much play. They get about 20 games a year. And over time, with all that practice, it's amazing how this accident of birth actually shapes the future of hockey. It's not just hockey, though. It's interesting as this goes out. But it does seem that some people are just born at the right time. But if you look around, there's more than that. If you were to look at a list of the 75 richest human beings to live in world history, going all the way back, we're talking kings and queens, pharaohs from the past, you'll notice an interesting anomaly as well. Of the 75 names on that richest list across history, 14 of those were born in America within nine years of one another in the mid-19th century. Now think about that for a moment. All the way back from Cleopatra to King David to the pharaohs, they come through every year in human history and looking at every corner of the earth for evidence and extraordinary wealth. And almost 20% of those names end up from a single generation in a single country. What explains that remarkable phenomenon? The answer becomes obvious, though, if you think about it. Because in the 1860s and 70s, the American economy went through one of the biggest growth patterns and changes of any era in human history. It was the railroad construction and boom that was happening in the emergence of Wall Street. So what the list of 15 wealthiest people says is that what really matters how it matters how old you were at that specific moment where things went crazy in history. So if you were born in the 1840s, well, you missed it because you were too young. And if you were born in the 1820s, then you were too old for those that were ready to launch out and do entrepreneurial work. There was a particular nine-year window that was just perfect for those to find that rise to the top. And again, it's, there's a lot of people that didn't find their rise at the top. It took skill, it took ability, it took brilliance, it took a lot of work, but it also took an accident of birth to be born at just the right moment. And if you look at the tech billionaires from the last 25 years, you'll notice the same anomaly. Bill Gates, Paul Allen, Steve Ballmer, Steve Jobs, Eric Schmidt, and Bill Joy were all born between the years 1953 and 1956, four 
years. Some people are just born at the right time. And if that's true, then maybe that changes the way we see a moment in the Bible that I want to take us to this morning, about an opportune moment, a time where God comes across some people at just the right time and calls forth his kingdom into the future. So turn with me, if you would, to the book of Matthew, Matthew chapter 4. And I want to read this passage that some of you have read a lot of times. This may be new to some of you, and if it is, we're so glad you're here. You give us fresh eyes to see the text in new ways, and we hope you'll join us on this journey. But in chapter 4, Jesus is calling his disciples into the ministry that he's about to begin. And I want you to hear this in light of those stats I kind of shared with you, in light of these anomalies of accidents of birth and where people find themselves. Just listen to this story. This is Matthew 4, verse 18 and following. As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. They were in a boat with their father Zebedee, preparing their nets. Jesus called them, and immediately they left their boat, and their father followed him. Did you catch those words there? There's a couple of words there in verses 20 and 22 that that look like different words because they're translated differently in the NIV and some of our translations, but they're actually the same Greek word in verse 20 and 22. And I find them really bizarre if I'm thinking about these characters. The Greek word's the word eutheos, and it's, it's translated in verse 22 as at once they drop their nets. In verse 22, it shows up as immediately they drop their nets. Same word we're talking about here, okay? And I've always had a question about this point in the story because Jesus comes along, he says three words to them. They don't seem to know who he is ahead of time. And immediately they drop their nets. Immediately they drop the business they've been preparing for. Immediately they drop all they've been planning their lives. They, They drop their dad behind, right? They're like, forget today. You can take care of the rest of this fishing. And they follow Jesus. Now that seems bizarre to me because there's other parts in the gospels that say, make sure you count the cost before you build things. Make sure you, you ask the right questions ahead of time. But here you see them just straight following Jesus. And as the story goes on, I think it's important to understand the context because all of a sudden, if you understand the first century Jewish world, I think it makes a little more sense how quickly they jump to follow Jesus. Sometimes we forget that Jesus wasn't a Christian. He was a Jew, right? I mean, that whole following Jesus thing came after Christ, right? So he lives in the first century Jewish world with all the expectation that come with what it means to live like that. As a first century Jew, we may think of that as kind of a monolithic experience, that they're all kind of similar because, well, all Christians are the same today, right? No, not exactly, right? It's a broad diversity of people that see things differently. And in that world, uh, Jesus grew up in a region called Galilee. And in Galilee, the education system in the Jewish world was really centered around five books in the Old Testament. It was well, their whole Bible, right? Their scriptures, the uh, Jewish scriptures. And, and the first five books they refer to as the Torah. The Torah could mean several things. It could mean teaching or instruction. It could also mean, interestingly, the way. And, and, and so they would teach this Torah to their kids. And, and at the age of six, boys and girls would go to synagogue school and they would learn these first five books. And when I say learn, they would memorize these first five books, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Some of you are like, I can't even get through Leviticus, much less memorize it, right? But that's what these kids did. They would go, it was called Beit Sefer, and it was the first stage of their schooling. And, and most of them after those, that first stage, after a few years, they would memorize it. They would do their best, but you know, the teacher would say, you know, it'd be better off if you'd go home and learn the family trade, right? 
go home and learn fishing from your dad. Go home to your mom and learn how to take care of the home. Like that, that's what you probably ought to do. But the best of the best would be called into a new stage. They would be called into bait town mood. And a bait town mood happened about age 10. And what would happen is they would teach them beyond the Torah. They would have them, they would teach to them the entire Jewish scriptures. I mean, think about that, right? I mean, that's, that's like two thirds of your Bible right there, right? And not only that, many of them memorized the entire Jewish scriptures. Amazing. I, I do a good enough job just to get the books in order, right? And so they would memorize this. And many of them after that time, the, the teachers would say, you've done such a good job. Thanks for joining us in Baytown Mood. You can go on and learn the family business. But, but the best of the best of the best, they had dreams of maybe becoming rabbis themselves. And so they would, uh, they would go out and they would actually find a rabbi and they would say, would it be okay if I followed you? Would it be okay if I took it to the next stage? Because the next stage was Beit Midrash and it was a chance to learn the traditions, but not just the traditions, they would learn the interpretations the rabbi had. Again, the Jewish world sees things differently. They love to wrestle over the text and have different perspectives. They were well okay with that. And so, so there were some that were more conservative uh, rabbis. There were some that were more progressive rabbis. And in fact, in Jesus' day, there were two schools, the school of Hillel and the school of Shammai. And they, they saw things differently. And so these rabbis would have an interpretation for the Torah. And, and, and these kids, these kids, they were kids. They were, you know, high school age. were trying to become disciples and saying, I want to learn to be like you. I want to learn your teaching. And they would put on that disciple's teaching. And you know what they would call a, a rabbi's teaching or interpretation of the Torah? Call it a yoke, interestingly enough. You're putting on the yoke of your rabbi, which is really interesting when Jesus later says, my yoke is easy and my burden is light, right? He's trying to say, I, I do this differently than the Pharisees who heap burdens on you. And so all these, these kids, man, they would dream of this day where they might be able to learn under a great rabbi and they would go and, and, and some of the rabbis, then they would grill these kids if they wanted to be their disciple. They would say, right, let's see if they, they know enough, if they can actually be like I am. And so they would test them about the scriptures and the Torah and they would test their memorization. And, and, and to many, they would say, you know, I appreciate your fervor for this, but really you need to go home and learn uh, with your dad what to do. But others, the best of the best of the best. They would invite to become rabbis. They would invite to take on the yoke of Jesus. And I love that story. And all of a sudden that changes the way I see Matthew 4. I don't know about you. Because these fishermen, right? Peter, Andrew, James, and John, what does it mean that they're fishermen? It means at some point along the way they went to school and somebody said, yeah, it's probably go, time to go home to Zebedee and learn this fishing trade. You're not the best of the best of the best. And they probably told him in the nicest way possible. So they went and they did that and they imagined a life that would be on the Sea of Galilee probably for the rest of their lives. They're trying to learn the trade. But then this rabbi comes up to them. And he says to them exactly the phrase a rabbi would have said to any disciple that accepted them into their school to learn their yoke, to put it upon them. The phrase was, come follow me. So imagine that was the three words you wanted to hear, but you were told earlier, you ought to go do something else. You're not cut out for this. And then this guy comes along the seashore. Says, you tired of the, the calluses on your hands? You tired of doing other, come follow me. Imagine the excitement. Who in the world would turn that down? It's the opportunity of a lifetime for these people to learn under a rabbi. And so they go, they immediately drop their nets. They were in the right place at the right time. They were born at just the right moment. At times I wish that I was born in that moment. 
Said I was on that seashore and Jesus had said that phrase to me, come follow me. How exciting would that have been? And then to follow Jesus and to see lame people walk and paralyzed people get up from their mats and to shake Lazarus's hand and say, what was it like when you died and you came back? Like, wouldn't that have been great? And I think back to those moments and I think if I saw the resurrected Jesus, I'd never doubt again. I would believe. Then I read these stories. And, I, and I, if you've ever thought that, if you ever thought I was born at the wrong time, or if I had only been there to touch the scars in his hands, then I would believe. I want you to hear something very closely this morning. You were not born at the wrong moment. Let me say that again. You were not born at the wrong moment. You didn't miss your shot. Jesus called his disciples nearly 2,000 years ago, but this morning, Jesus is still calling disciples, every single one of us, to join in his way. He's giving you the offer of a lifetime. His words ring through the ears of the disciples long ago, and he's still bringing that call to our ears today. Think of how fortunate you are to live in this day. So there's a book in the New Testament called Hebrews, and I want to read from it briefly. It's a really important book, and I love the first few verses in this book. The writer of Hebrews has a challenge set before him because many of the people that he's writing to are part of a church, but they've never saw Jesus with their own eyes. Maybe there are others that have testified about him that are present in their community, but they never saw Jesus. Maybe some of them are saying, if I was just born a few years earlier, I could have been there with him. And the writer of Hebrews is trying to say, no, 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 don't think you missed your shot. Like, listen to the moments you're in. And I want you to hear this because I think God's trying to impress the same thing on us. We're trying to decide about this way this morning. Hebrews 1 verse 1. In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things and through whom he also made the universe. You know what he's trying to convince these Hebrew people of? He's trying to convince them, you're just like Canadian hockey players born in January. You're just like railroad tycoons born in the 1830s. You're just like technology billionaires that were born in 1954. He's trying to convince them just like Peter, Andrew, James, and John, the call of God is still present on their lives. He's saying Abraham didn't have it as good as you do because he didn't know about this Jesus that was to come. He didn't hear the news of the resurrection. He didn't have the Holy Spirit of God living within him. And you have that opportunity. You weren't born at the wrong moment. In fact, you're born in an incredible moment where that same spirit that woke Jesus from the grave and raised him from the dead and spoke through to do miracles through those early apostles, that same spirit is alive and at work and is calling you into this way as well. Amen? You are not left out. You've received the same invitation. You've been called. And my task is the same as the Hebrews writer in the first century to tell you, as if for the first time you've been called, Jesus has extended his invitation to the abundant life. And if you've never heard that invitation, I want you to hear it clearly this morning. There's nothing you can do that exempts you from this invitation. Nothing that you do that God says, you remember how this works, right? Jesus doesn't bring those who've been assigned to other rabbis. He doesn't bring those who are the best of the best of the best. What does Jesus do? He says, well, you're a fisherman, you'll do. Come follow me because the spirit of God is gonna be the difference, not what's in you. 
And so if right now you feel like you're exempted from this call or like you've done too much that you can't join into it, or maybe your heart's grown cold, I want to remind you of this this morning. You're in on this deal. And you've been born in an incredible moment to be called. You are not left out. But let me assure you what the call is. The call is not just to attend a church service, but we want you to keep doing that. Call is not to do charity work, but please volunteer and serve people. Call is not to become a good person because that's a bar none of us can clear without the help of the spirit of God. The call is to join the way, the way. It's an invitation to a specific kind of life, an abundant life. This morning, if you've never heard that call before, or maybe it sounds like a new call, or maybe you need to be reminded of it again in your heart. You've been called to the way. So this morning, what I want to do is I want to extend that invitation in as clear a way as I can to each and every one of us. Over the next three weeks, we're going to talk through the same thing Jesus did. What is the teaching of Jesus? How does Jesus equip followers to continue in that way? How does he send us forth to call others into that way, to witness to God's work? But just for this morning, I want you to hear before we get to any of the rest of that, that you've been called. And so if you've never made that decision before, maybe there have been times where you've wanted to say publicly, I I believe that Jesus is Lord, but there's something that's kept you back, that's held you back. Or maybe you think, yeah, I've still got years to go and I don't need to make that decision now. I want to just ask you this morning that maybe today is that morning that you make that decision for the first time. Maybe today's that day you step out in a bold way and you say, I'm ready to to name Jesus as Lord. The scriptures say that when we claim Jesus as Lord, he's not ashamed to call us his own either. And so that's what our public confession, that's what baptism does is it's our moment to say publicly, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I am going to commit to this call and follow in the way that he's given to us. And so if you've not made that decision, we want to give you an opportunity today to do that. I'll be up front uh, right after this message during our next song and would love to receive you. We also have prayer leaders in the back that I know would love to receive you this morning as well. Uh, would love to pray with you. Would love to, to share with you more. If maybe you want to know what is this about? Tell me about, more about this way. I'd love to meet with you this week and, and share more with you about this journey. I know there are others in the room that would love to do that, but don't leave this morning if that prodding is on your heart to respond to the call of the gospel to join the way again. But I know many of us in the room have made that decision too. And some of us feel like the way, I, I don't feel like I'm going anywhere. I'm stuck. I'm stagnant. I've got it. I'm, I'm trying to just keep it safe until I, Jesus returns, right? I'm trying to, this is not a thing that's a safety thing. This isn't about trying to protect our salvation. It's not, not about trying to make sure that we're good enough. No, the call of God goes beyond any, any sin that is out there. If we are faithful and just, if we repent of our sin, if we ask forgiveness, we're always allowed and called and welcomed back onto this journey. So maybe you found your way off of the path. Maybe you found yourself stuck in sin. Maybe, maybe your heart's just grown cold and you've realized, I need, to, I need to engage again in the way of Jesus. I want to call you to rededicate yourself this morning. Maybe you want to come and pray with me. I'd love to receive you there. Again, there is an opportunity in the back, an invitation to, to pray with those who are there and to let them know, I need help on this journey. I need help finding the way. Or maybe you need prayers for someone that you want to join in the way. Uh, that she was there and, and, and has fallen off. Whatever it may be this morning, we want to invite you to that. So we're in just a moment, I'm going to pray. And I want to ask uh, all of those who are ready to make those decisions, whether it's for the first time or it's a rededication to that, make that commitment in your heart. Step forward if it's baptism that you want to respond to. We'd love to baptize you this morning and to celebrate that. Or if you'd like prayers in the back, they would love uh, to pray for you in whatever way you need this morning.
Let's pray together as we close our time in the word. God, we, we thank you so much that you are always calling and that the call doesn't close at any point in our lives, but you are always calling us and inviting us back to the way of Jesus. God, you, uh, you've been so good in my life. I know so many of us can account for the ways that you have been present and active. And yet, God, it's easy to fall away. It's easy to grow cold. It's easy to forget the way that we're set on. And we need a community to call us forward to that again. God, for any who've not made decisions yet to follow Jesus and not put Jesus on in baptism, I pray this would be the morning. They wouldn't hold back out of fear or a desire to be uh, private in any way, but, but to proclaim boldly and, and in faith, God, that you are who you say you are and we are who you say we are as a result of the resurrection. So God, we pray all of this this morning in the name of Jesus. Amen.